0: Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, Ryan and I are going to be talking about another Leisure List uh, quarterly installment for October 2023. So if you're new to the show, Leisure List is the format where we basically just cover everything we're watching that we didn't make a full episode for. So a little bit of everything, but a... Comic books, video games, movies, video games, whatever we just feel like talking about. Uh, try to refrain from spoilers in them just because you have no idea what we're going to be talking about. But uh, sometimes things slip through. Sorry. We're
1: going to try.
0: So uh, you got more than I do for a change. You want to go first?
1: Yeah, Sure. Uh, so the start of my list, I started doing this trend because I bought the box out of it, but then I haven't watched another one since. Um, I watched Rear Window. A lot of my list, this, this quarterly is going to be a lot of rewatches. Anyway, after that little hiccup, yeah, watched Rear Window, fucking fantastic movie. What can I say? Um, Alfred Hitchcock, Master of Suspense, learned recently, he never won an Oscars. Poor guy. Um. Blasphemy. Absolute Blasphemy. Uh, it's basically about this uh, photographer who was in an injury and is stuck in his apartment complex for weeks. So all he's able to do is basically peep at his... Uh... <clears throat> Excuse me. Just basically peep at his... Um, What is going on with my audio? Is my audio recording at all? Hello? Apologies to Joe editing. Um, but yeah. Rear window. Watch rear window. Basically, it's about this guy who... He's a photographer, he's injured, he's stuck at home, he's stuck in a wheelchair, and um, he's basically just a peeping Tom to his neighbors. He, um, yeah, he's a peeping Tom to his neighbors, watching their every which way, everybody's walks of life, There's there's like a ballet dancer, there's a music composer, some he thinks are annoying, and then there's one neighbor, a husband and a wife, who he peeps in on, and The husband's there, and the wife, they bicker a bunch, and then one night he hears a loud scream. (gasps) What could that be? And then the next morning, he doesn't see the wife. So then it becomes this mystery of, did the man kill his wife? Did the man not kill his wife? There's a lot of twists and turns to the story. Just one of those classics 60s movies where it takes you on this great suspense uh, throughout the entire time. There's, I mean, the what's her name in the movie see this is what happens when i don't do research on it but the female lead in that movie is a great you know has great chemistry with jimmy stewart as well they bounce off each other so much and it's not only great story overall in terms of suspense but there's a lot of story elements going on with their relationship as well and i think hitchcock Balances, there's a great balancing act where we can take a break from the main story and focus on the characters as well and why we care so much about them. Um, Great movie overall. But yeah, after that fiasco, go ahead, Joe.
0: (laughs) Name you're looking for is Grace Kelly, I believe. Thank you. So my first one here is Grant Morrison's Green Lantern run, which I talked a little bit about last time. Uh, Last Leisure List, I finally finished that one. And my opinion basically remains the same as it did then. Uh, Visually stunning art, uh, cool stories, but ultimately anticlimactic. Uh, It's it's a great celebration of Silver Age, Green Lantern, and Hal Jordan with a modern twist. Um, I really like what Grant Morrison was going for here, but I was also never that big a fan of silver age green lantern so that that tells you how much it worked for me like it's a good interpretation of that but i also was never that huge on it but it's a good interpretation of the parts i liked at least silver age green lantern was better when it was getting weird and this was definitely weird but uh liam sharps art definitely carries it for me uh the writing is very interesting 'Cause the way Grant Morrison writes aliens, it's like they're actual aliens. The way they speak doesn't always make sense. It it's like they're trying to talk English, but not it's or errors in translation. Uh, so it does create a sense that the Green Lantern Corps is more alien and otherworldly than I've ever heard them, but it's also not necessarily fun to read. For me, it's just i am spending a lot of time trying to figure out what people are actually saying. Uh, maybe that's just me being dumb when I read it. I don't know. A lot of people probably don't have that problem. But, yeah, not the best Green Lantern run I ever read. Not the worst. At least it was trying something different.
1: That's, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that would be a weird transition from, like, having the aliens actually speak like aliens but you're reading it so it's not really the best best way to intake that uh that piece of entertainment yeah. um yeah okay well i guess next on my list is uh the witcher nightmare of the wolf if anybody remembers this netflix special it is the one-off uh, Witcher anime that came out in between season one and two of the Witcher, I believe um, the, of the Netflix show. And uh, it tells the tale of Vesemir and how the second of Kaer Morth happened, how he was as a Witcher in his youth. Um, and it's really good. It's,
0: I have wanted to watch it for a while. I just haven't gotten around to that.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It, it's a shame how much it outshines the show itself in terms of just both action, choreography, the story. You can tell whoever wrote and directed for this anime or anime-inspired animation really cares about the source material and the creatures around it. Um, It doesn't really take that many liberties from the source material, from what I gather. It does sort of... It is supposed to be the... This is the backstory for the show version, I believe, but also it's just, it's so weird because it's so much closer to the books than the live action is. I think that's just goes to, I think that's just because of the creators and whoever's behind the animation team on uh, how much they care about it. But yeah, it's a really fun movie. It's a short hour 30 tells the tale of Vesemir and how he's kind of this cocky, um, Witcher. He's a lot of fun. Great movie for anybody who loves the Witcher franchise. Um, and it, it shows, it shows a great event in Geralt's life, but it doesn't focus on Geralt whatsoever. And it's cool to see, uh, a side character in the main story, get the limelight. It's, it's, it's a prequel, but it's, it's it's really well done.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Uh, probably not anytime soon, but I do like to see it. I am interested in The Witcher. It's never been my favorite thing, but it's always been a, yeah, yeah, I like that. And I've always heard good things about this special. And Mesemir is one of my favorite characters of season two. So I definitely like to see a little more of his story for sure. My next one here is something a little different. I've been getting into audio dramas lately. Uh, Justin got me into those. Okay. Uh, and he found one called Wolf 359. Apparently it was pretty big deal when it first came out. It was one of the few audio dramas when this resurgence of audio dramas started 10 years ago. It ran from about 2014 to I don't know, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there, and it's kind of known for being one of the only audio dramas from that era that actually got an ending. It, they actually they did over 60 episodes and a lot of uh, short stuff in between on in between seasons on summer. Uh, I'm only I'm into season three right now, but I'm only going to be talking about the first two seasons because that's the last thing I'm finished right now. Uh, this is a great show. <laughs> I love it. It's basically what it's about is there's this station called the USS Festus Space Station. And they're orbiting the Star Wolf 359, which is way out of the way. So basically, it's this space station in the middle of nowhere. It's the, the dead end of the universe. And you got this crew of misfits aboard the ship. You got... uh Commander Minkowski, she's the uh, the hard-ass commander of the ship, trying to keep everybody in order and uh, to little avail. You got Dr. Hilbert, he's another hard-ass, but he's just, uh, he's the mad scientist who's running weird experiments on the Hephaestus that nobody really knows what he's doing in his lab all day, but eh, whatever. He keeps us alive. Uh, you have the sassy AI here uh, who's just sick of the human's bull, but she's programmed to have to follow their orders, so that's that's what she does. She doesn't like it, though. Sounds she, like you. Yeah. She doesn't like it, though, and she'll, uh, she'll let you know that. And then the main character, communications officer, Lieutenant Douglas Eiffel, who really has no business being in this paramilitary organization. He sucks at following orders. He's a completely free thinker. He's nearly gotten them killed many, many times over. Uh, but uh he's he's the guy who we're seeing this all through mostly through his audio logs that he's making on the ship and that's where it starts he's just communicating the boring day-to-day adventures on the hephaestus but that's where it gets interesting because the first i understand why a lot of people dropped off of all 359 early cuz if you're just listening to the first season the first 8 episodes nothing really happens some weird stuff happens, like in the first one, they hear these uh, transmissions of classical music uh, that they catch uh, on the radio waves, and they're like, oh, where did this come from? That's interesting, but it's like Earth classical music from 100 years ago. So, oh, that's something a little weird. I think episode two is Eiffel locks himself in the communications room because he, he's got the last tube of toothpaste when they're running out, and no supply ships come here, so... He's so desperate to get the last tube of toothpaste, and then Minkowski and uh, and Hilbert have to smoke him out of the room. Uh, I think in episode three, they find out that one of the experiments Hilbert was working on, the plant monster, uh, it, like this plant has become a sentient life form, and it's living in the air ducts, and it's wreaking havoc on, on the ship. So that's what the first few episodes were kind of like. And then it takes a massive turn and starts getting really crazy. And the show never really lets up from there. It doesn't, it's not an adventure series or anything. It all still revolves around the station, but it's just kind of after a certain point, this big reveal happens, and then it's just what else is going to go wrong? So it's part survival series, it's part adventure. It's, but it's all done with this really comedic tone. Most of the episodes will make you laugh, the character interactions are incredible. They're all really funny. Um they're all very three-dimensional and layered. And the way they can describe stuff through audio is mind boggling to me. It's they craft this very picturesque environment and everything they're doing is communicated so clearly. You really can picture it all in your head. The uh it basically it's a show for people who like Irreverent, pop culture, heavy science fiction. It's it's totally up my alley. I didn't know what to expect from it really, but it's it's one of my favorite things I've been listening to recently. It's just incredible, and it's just continuing to get more nuts. This show has plot twists on top of plot twists. It gets it's it's really fun, um, but you have to power through the first eight episodes before it really starts catching up. But uh, yeah, it's the first two seasons were really good. Season three is even better. It's just building and building. And uh, I'll give you an update. Probably I'll be done season three by the next leisure list.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I for- completely forgot about like audio stories and how that medium works and stuff. And that's re- that's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I decided um, I'm just listening to them on my way to work now. I got a half hour commute, so I right. just say you know, well, oh yeah, let's let's. Build it. let's put Might this time well. in. Yeah, I've been listening mm. to Critical Role and stuff too, but I don't, I'm not going to yeah. talk about that as much today.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, real quick one, I'll move on to the next. I played the recent Modern Warfare 2 just to beat it on veteran, just to say I did. Um, it's good, you know, good game. Story is weird, but each level was a lot of fun, and it was kind of to lead up to Modern Warfare 3, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. Uh, but yeah, the one I will actually talk about is uh, my continuation of The Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt video game. God damn, is this game so good. It's just, I've moved on from, I think the last time I talked about it, uh, we, I was talking about Triss, and making relationship choices here and there. And now I've moved on, and I'm all the way at Skellige now, uh, where I've met up with Yennefer. And right away, just their chemistry is... Insane, and I know they've had a couple games together, but just the amount of how, the amount of just not only tension but sexual tension those two have of each other is absolutely insane. Um, but the voice acting is is so good between the two. I mean, you could just feel the tension whenever those two are on screen, and I think it's due to the the backstory of the characters, obviously the source material, but also just how. They interact with each other in the game because, you know, the whole lore of the Witcher is that Yennefer and Geralt are tied together through a a djinn, a wish from a djinn, and whether or not their feelings are real or not, um, they they'll never tell, but they still have these feelings for each other and they just can't never escape each other. And I did fight uh recently was it? Yeah, I fought like an ogre giant. That was in that was a crazy boss fight that I almost died from. Um, It's a, again, it's a tough combat game. It's not the most fluid combat from that game ever, but it's, it's well done. I actually also did what they added in because from the Netflix show, they added the first season um, of uh, Geralt's armor to the, to the game. But the way they do that is they make you go on this uh, side quest and the side quest to get the armor is the guy who wears the armor. But he has it's not Geralt from the Netflix show. He's got his own backstory. It's a Witcher from thousands and thousands of years ago. And neither you have to like free the spirit or fight the spirit to get the armor or the diagrams to get the armor. It's, again, The Witcher 3 is one of those games where the side quests matter. And the side quests have huge ramifications for the entire story. It's a gigantic game. I don't know when I'm going to ha- hop back onto it because in a couple weeks of time of recording, Spider-Man 2 is coming out. So it's going to be, uh, I'm definitely going to finish it. It's one of those games that are, that's on my list to finish. It's a lot of fun. The spells are fun. The story is great. Um, Geralt's one of the best video game characters.
0: I've heard nothing. Your honor. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard nothing but praise for The Witcher 3, and that's one I'd very much like to try uh, at some point. I I have bought it. It is on my Steam Deck, but as long-time listeners know, I am very behind on my video games.
1: So... I heard a horror story that I have to share on here that it was like a Reddit post where two friends bought either a console together or The Witcher 3 together because they're both gamers, and the one friend had played on it for like a hundred hours of The Witcher Three. And then the other friend was like, I want to try it out now. And he was like, Yeah, that's fine. Goes to play his own game, creates a new save that overrides the hundred hour one.
0: That guy was an idiot then.
1: Yeah, that guy's an idiot. And he that was the only save they had, apparently. Um, which is so weird because that means they were either they were playing on the same profile, which If you make a new profile, I think you get your own saves, or it's different with console and PC, but they had an Xbox from what I know.
0: Yeah, but most PCs let you have multiple saves, though, on a game.
1: They do have multiple saves, but from the way the story was told, it sounds like he was just saving on top of the same save file and not just creating a new save. Well that's but what I mean. Like... That's what
0: I mean though. That's why he's stupid. It's like there should have been an option to have another save file in the game. The profile shouldn't have made a difference.
1: Oh, they did. No, he was just an idiot. He was probably one of those guys who was like, "Are you sure you want to over- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like didn't fully read through it, but just like and the game for the first few hours is a bit of a slog to get through like any game, but it's just like over 100 hours. You don't want to go back and replay that shit <laughs> after playing all that. Did the
0: first guy at least finish the game?
1: Uh, from what I know, I don't know. It was a Reddit post, so... Well, that would I would say. 100 hours is nothing for The Witcher 3.
0: Right. Well, see, I wouldn't have minded if it was me if I'd finished the game and it, you know, got my trophies and everything and it was already moved on to something else. Eh, whatever. You can write that over. I've already got my accomplishments for it, but...
1: No, I don't think he finished it at all. Well,
0: then I feel extra bad for him. So, my next one here is Silver Age Flash Comics. I finally finished all the Silver Age. Took me, I don't know, probably seven years at this point to chip away at that. But, yeah, I uh, got the last volume of the Silver Age and I'm finally done Silver Age Flash. Everything from 1956 to 1970. And I love it. Silver Age Flash is one of the most consistent comic runs I've ever read. It's every one was somehow Well, I mean, largely it was standalone stories, of course, but there was this good serialized element to it that in that 14 year period, characters grew and changed. There was uh there was one villain. I don't remember what his name was now. He had something to do with atomic powers. Like he he redeemed himself, he became a good guy. Gorilla Grog. No. Well, Grodd was in it, but uh, you, you got introductions of the Reverse Flash, the Rogues. All, his, all Barry Allen's main villains were created in this 14-year period, basically. You get to see all their origin stories. You get to see his relationship progress with Iris West until he gets married eventually. Uh, you get to see the introduction of Wally West as well as Kid Flash in this period. So basically, in this 14-year period... It seems weird to me from modern comics perspective where nothing really changes, but even though 14 years seems like a while, there was actual forward momentum for the Barry Allen character in a time where the status quo never really shifted for these characters. Back in these days, Batman had the same Robin for 40 years, Superman was basically the same. Like, everybody everybody was basically the same as they'd always been, minus... Minus some, um, you know, tonal changes here and there. It was, but the Flash, very consistent run. I love the early stuff, especially with Carmine Infantino's art. He was, his style just was a great way to show Flash's speed. There was a kinetic energy to it. And I love DC's clean line art style at the time, which they were known for. The art just looks really good. Um... I mean I, I feel like if you're comparing the the Marvel Age if you're looking at like Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko's art they were trying more interesting things at the time um but I just like the way the flash is drawn it just it just leaps off the page nearly it just I think it still holds up to this day really um and the stories were all f- really fun too this is why I think he's the most consistent cuz I was just whining about Silver Age Green Lantern earlier that doesn't and my problem with Silver Age Green Lantern is that it doesn't play to the premise. He's a space cop, but all his adventures are on Earth in the 60s. It pissed me off when I was reading those. It, it was the few that he actually went to space that were interesting. Like why why are you fighting guys on Earth? It's just it makes no sense. You have all the other Justice League for that. Play to your strength. And the flash does that the flash gets more bonkers than silver age green lantern he goes to different dimensions time travels a lot <laughs> does uh discovers realms of the of the earth and like oh underwater kingdoms subterranean the continuity was loose didn't really matter A lot of the times, they're not going to remember. This isn't a time where it's like, oh, you go underwater and discover Atlantis or something, and that's going to be the same Atlantis as Aquaman's. It didn't matter back then. They just did what they did and had fun doing it. And uh, I like the element of the Silver Age that DC had where they basically did clickbait on their coverts. That was basically the whole thing. They're basically like, okay... So, let's make a really clickbaity cover before clickbait was a thing and uh come up with a story about that. Was how they did it a lot of times. So that's why you'll see all these ridiculous comic covers from the 50s and 60s cuz that's how they that's how they wrote them. Uh yep, the weirdest thing you can imagine, we got to make a story about that now. So, uh yeah, I like the characterization of Barry Allen. He's Barry Allen's always been kind of a you know, square-jawed, straight-laced kind of guy. I don't think he got a great characterization till, well, till the last twenty years, personally. But he was he was good in the '60s. He was just uh, what I liked about him was that he was a little bit of a not a loser, but he was a little. Well, everyone always gets angry at him for being late. He's pretty. He's kind of a Peter Parker of his era. He's kind of unreliable, he's a little goofy, he's kind of corny, uh, but he, he owns that. Uh, he's not the coolest guy in the room, but he's, he's just a nerd. I think Silver Age Flash starts with him reading comic books, and he's enamored by his childhood hero, the Flash, from another universe. Oh yeah, Silver Age Flash is also what gifted us the multiverse. The first multiverse story was in the 60s, a flash a flash of two worlds where he met the golden age version Jay Garrick. They were doing some crazy stuff in that 14 years. I'm trying to just recap it all for you as as best as possible, but it's like, oh, they had the multiverse, all these crazy things, all like every character they still use today in his supporting cast was done in that time, the forward development. They were they were very well done. Silver Age Flash is it made me realize that the Flash is probably the most consistently written character I've ever seen at DC. I've seen good and bad runs of basically everybody, but the Flash is rarely ever my favorite, but he's always just solid. The Flash is consistent 70 years on.
1: So that's, that's good. <laughs> you want to be consistent. Um, all right. So, my next one is another rewatch. Sorry everybody. It's like 80% of my list is uh the entirety of The House of the Dragon. I watched that I think a few months back. Good stuff. It's Team funny Green. after Team
0: Green, Team Green.
1: Shut up. Mute your mic. There's a <laughs> It's funny going back and rewatching. I mean, we we've done an entire podcast on this show, so we don't have to talk too much about how good it is, but it's interesting to see, after watching all of it, going back and seeing the small choices that led up to the ending. Because when we were watching, it was just week by week, but watching it all the way through was really well done. And one detail that I noticed is that uh, Otto Hightower was the one who suggested Rhaenyra be heir to the throne at first. So that was interesting to see. Very interesting. So it's all his fault still. Um, are <laughs> we still just a schemer? But that was when, um, the only choices were her and Damon. So, yeah. Well,
0: between her and Damon, she's the obvious choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's the obvious choice because Damon's too hot headed and, yeah. But it, again, great show. Matt Smith is amazing in it. Um, the, different actresses and actors when they do the age jump is still jarring. But after watching all the way through, it's, it's, it's fine. Still can't wait for season two. It's probably not going to come out till next year. Well, it is not coming out till next year. I know that was one of the shows during the writer uh, writer strike. They were fine with shooting ahead of time because it was already written ahead of time, uh, before the strike happened. So like, yeah, right. we're just still going to shoot it. Um, because we need to make money, apparently, HBO said. Um, fantastic show. I'm still team black.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the Dragon's great. I
1: can see why I can see why people would be team green now, though. Look, I don't I can s- kind of see it. What's great though about the show, what I've come to realize is that it doesn't matter. Because both people who they want on the throne are both unsuited for it. They both suck. Like in, the individual person sucks, but whoever's the people behind that team—that's who you root for, really. What's
0: um? <laughs> who's the guy who ended up being king again? Is it was it Aegon? Aegon the second. Yeah. Yeah. See, now my thing was always I don't really I don't I think Rainier is a better leader than Aegon, but Aegon's a puppet. For Alicentonado, who I think are better leaders than Rhaenyra, and that's why I'm Team Green. Yeah, it's not who's actually king; it's who's behind the king. I don't like Damon, I don't like Rhaenyra. I don't think they're good for the kingdom, and nobody's going to be puppeting them. They are who they are, and that's it. Aegon's a puppet. I don't like him, but he's a puppet, and I'm fine with. It. So that—that's basically, in a nutshell, why I'm Team Green.
1: It's not who's you actually like puppet masters.
0: Yes, it's not who's <laughs> if actually. If you watch Game charge, of Thrones, who's actually I bet charge.
1: your favorite. I bet your favorite characters in Game of Thrones would be Varys and Littlefinger for a little bit. Littlefinger gets a little more annoying throughout yeah. than the show, but those are kind of like the, like the spy people, but they're also kind of the puppet masters at the same time.
0: Well, I mean, in a show about Game of Thrones and the politics and the scheming. The people who are best at it are the ones I'm going to gravitate towards. I just, I love schemers. People who use the information and pull it to their own ends, however they can.
1: All right, King Rapist, go ahead. Simpsons, Sorry, season you're nine. not King Rapist. Team King Rapist.
0: Yeah, I better say that before my reputation goes in the dumps. <laughs> Does Ryan know yeah. something? Did he drop a bombshell?
1: Joe's a king. I want to clarify. <laughs> We're talking about a show character, not Joe himself. Yeah. Uh Simpson,
0: season nine. The rise of jerk ass homer.
1: <laughs> Look, season. Is nine. that the subtext of the season, or is that your own?
0: <laughs> uh, well, it's I've heard I've heard it said before that this is where jerk ass homer starts. If you don't know who what jerk ass Homer is, basically. Homer Simpson used to be, he always had a little bit of a selfish streak, but he was always at heart a family man who did what he did for his family. He was always a little bit, he always had a little intelligence, even though he was known as dumb. He was more emotionally intelligent as a person. And then at a certain point, he just became this selfish prick who'd screw over his family, his town, his friends and be just oblivious about it completely basically he turned into peter griffin for like 20 years (laughs) and yeah i don't know classic simpsons fans have never haven't been a fan of homer for a long long time and this is about where i see it starting i see him already becoming more inconsiderate and getting worse he hasn't done anything too egregious in season nine but yeah, Homer's definitely taking a a down a downfall as a character here. Um, I also see a, a definite laissez-faire attitude taking over the show in general, where they used to care more about continuity, more about character consistency, and this is the infamous example: season nine had the prince and the uh, the principal and the pauper. Which, well, I'll spoil this episode. Sorry, it's over twenty years old, thirty years old, nearly. But um, yeah, so the thing about the principal and the popper, the reveal is that Principal Seymour Skinner isn't actually Seymour Skinner; he's just a guy who took the name I don't Seymour want Skinner. Show, but I
1: remember this. Yeah,
0: he's very famous. Everybody knows about that. But it wasn't even the it wasn't even that bad a storyline, to be honest. When you're watching the episode, it's a fine episode. The problem is at the very end, when they run the Seymour, the original Seymour Skinner out of town, and everybody in Springfield vows to never talk about it again. I think the judge even says, I decree we will never speak of this again, and things will go on exactly as they were. Yay! And everybody cheers. (laughs) And that was the moment a lot of... Yeah, and that was the moment the show changed. It wasn't that they've changed principal skinner it was that they changed him and then said "eh, doesn't matter things will be the same next week and that's when the show took a clear direction of anything goes character consistency doesn't matter we can do anything as stupid as we want go as big as we want and it'll all reset next week to the same status quo nothing matters anymore or at least it was beginning not to and so the tone of the show clearly changed after that from more of a grounded family drama to, all right, now we're just getting stupid for the sake of it, just because you can.
1: And Because uh, Family Guy's numbers are up, so we got to be like them.
0: I don't know. I don't even know. When did Family Guy come out? I don't know if it was even on the air at the time.
1: Um, I want to say, like, early 2000s.
0: Okay. Simpson season 9 was about 1998. so I don't know if family guy was even check
1: that real quick
0: quite there yet but it was probably the proto family guy family guy probably saw this and ran with it but uh yeah
1: uh family guy started in 99
0: 99 yeah so family guy started right after this problem is the Simpsons didn't course correct back So Family Guy was doing its, was basically being The Simpsons, but even worse than everything The Simpsons was doing. Family Guy just leaned into it and made that its identity from the start. So, I guess that's why people still like that show. But yeah, Simpsons was changing, and I'm watching season ten. Spoiler alert: it gets worse on ears.
1: Only twenty more to go. 24 already. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Alright, well, my next one on my list is Interstellar. This is a first time watch for me. I put it off for so long because I had a disdain for Matthew McConaughey for some reason. I don't know why. Probably just...
0: That's so random. It's
1: just random probably fucking school bullshit where I heard somebody like, that guy's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. It's like the Nickelback thing. I don't know. And then, what was the movie that made me like Matthew McConaughey? I like because Wal- I know the Wall movie Street that made me like. up for two seconds. It might have been that. And then I watched him in Dallas Buyers Club, and I was like, "Yeah, that's good," but he's just playing himself. That's a skinnier version, but he was good in it. Um, it would have been some. It's something else, but I, I can't remember what it is. Um, shit. Anyway, um, but yeah, Interstellar. I put off this movie for so long. It was the like one of the main Christopher Nolan movies that I put off. I was one of those people who was like, oh, it's overrated, it's not even that good. Inception's clearly better. And then I watched it. And I watched it on my phone because I was traveling to and from places, and I like to watch stuff. I should have watched it on, the, on a TV screen to get a better cinematic feel for it. However, even while watching it on my phone... It is still one of the best movies I've watched. It's definitely the best Christopher Nolan movie. The visuals are fucking insane since it came out in 2014. I can tell that the visual effects industry built off of Interstellar a little bit. Um, I mean, the black hole scene, the different planets, Hans Zimmer's score is iconic it's so freaking good just the way it moves. I didn't think a grown man could cry watching another grown man drive away in a cornfield. I didn't think that's how it would work. It's basically about this guy who is traveling to different planets trying to find other planets or ways to grow human life in, or in order to save the human race from Earth because it's like the temperatures or it's like a grains becoming withered. or
0: It's just a drought. Or uh, yeah, it's a drought, uh, what, huge not, drought. That's not what the that's not the
1: word. It's, dust storm.
0: No, it's not drought. It's not dust storm. Well, I guess maybe drought's
1: one, but just the land's dying. Yeah, the land, all the land is dying. Yeah, the on the brink of um extinction. There's a race against the clock, and each plant that go on to it could it's years on Earth. So Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway are off deck like basically spending a, a, a week in their time could be a decade on Earth or something like that. It's insane the amount of time. The way time works there and the way Christopher Nolan explains time and 3D space is crazy. Jessica Chastain does an amazing performance as well. I can't believe I put this movie off for so long because it is one of the best. It's definitely the best Christopher Nolan movie.
0: Uh... I don't know if I go that far, but I do I do enjoy Interstellar. What are you gonna
1: say? What Memento? What?
0: <laughs> Memento's one of the only I mean, ones e- i haven't seen. I mean excluding the me. Dark
1: Knight. If I'm excluding the Dark Knight, I would think Interstellar is probably his best.
0: I'm I'm a really big fan of Inception. The Prestige is my personal
1: favorite of his. That's another one I haven't watched.
0: Yeah. Uh Prestige, the Dark Knight, uh Inception. Um Oppenheimer is fantastic.
1: Oppenheimer is fantastic, yeah. It's probably my number two or something.
0: I feel like out of Nolan movies, Oppenheimer is the best movie he's ever made, but the prestige is totally Oh, that's his favorite. magnum
1: opus, yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, you want to do another one? Just because you got a couple more than me.
1: Yeah, I'll do another one. Um, I recently, well, recently, in terms of leisure list, finally beat Jedi Survivor, the story not only did i beat it i platinumed it because uh i platinum the first one so i was like hey might as well platinum the second and it was a fucking slog i mean you had to bad, thank huh? god by the thank god by the end of the game it was easy to get but it's just so much collectibles and shit you have to collect for like one trophy and but it, it helped uh it helps by like near the end of the game or as you're playing through, you get you basically get treasure maps that show you where each piece you need to collect is. So that helped out a lot. They learned from Fallen Order um, and it helped you explore the entirety of the worlds. Uh, but yeah, really fun game. Built off a lot in terms of the combat off of Jedi Fallen Order. So Survivor is gameplay wise, 10 times better. The story I have gripes with only because I feel like they didn't take as many chances as they sh- could have. That's my only like gripe of it. It feels very safe, like safe besides huh? a, besides a couple twists here and there. I mean, it's a few years, it's five years, five years after fallen order. The, the game at the beginning is all split up. They're all in, they're all different adventures, but you're there of Cal and, um, you're trying to get the game back together to, um, Oh, what are you trying to do? Oh, you're basically... Yeah, you're basically... You're you're fighting against the Empire. Cal's trying to fight against the Empire. And I was trying to figure out what... Since the story was so tamed, like, what the overall plot was and what the main message was. And the main message for... I think it was for Cal was you can keep on fighting as much as you want. Like, that's fine and everything. But if you don't have a home to go to... If you don't have some place to rest, then you'll never live a peaceful life. And it's also about obsession as well. With the main villain um, being from the High Republic, it was in the trailers. sorry everybody. Um, he basically unthaws him, and it turns out he was trying to get to Tantalor. It's basically a meme. This guy only talks about Tantalor throughout the entirety of the game. And that becomes his obsession with, uh, is Tantalor. And Cal's trying to figure out what's up with Tantalor. And basically it's just a safe haven. It's just a safe place away from the empire. It's not the same thing as in Ahsoka where it's in a different galaxy, but it's really difficult to get to because you basically have to take like a Kessel Run pathway to get to this planet. Um, really fun. The relationship between him and Grease is still there. It's, it's more so of a father son relationship. The relationship between him and Marin gets explored more. Wink, wink. Good. Um, there is a moment where you play as someone else, and I won't say who, but it's a lot of fun, and it's not who you think. Um, Who's the other one? Grease, Marin, Seer. Seer. That's who it is. Seer is sort of this, she's fully embraced becoming a Jedi again. She's sh- shaved her head. And she's fully into collecting data to uh, save the history of the Jedi Order. Um, BD1, as fun as ever. Cute little guy. Everybody's favorite new droid. Uh, the customization in this game is insane. It is insanely detailed. You got more than you just can ponchos? Have, I got way more than just ponchos. You but can you have Cal even have them. You get some ponchos. You can have Cal wear a mullet. That's actually a trophy. You have Cal wear a mullet, put on a mustache, and you have to kick someone, and it's called Roadhouse. That's the trophy. It's really hilarious. There's a lot of funny trophies here. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of funny customization trophies. You can actually make him kind of look like he's in the Clone Wars, but his own version of Clone Wars armor. I rocked that for a bit. You can make him look like... A launderer. you can make him look like uh, like a Jedi from the Jedi Order, or just kind of like... You can even have him in a tank top. It's really funny. Um, the only customization that didn't get brought over was you can't customize the paint job of the Mantis whatsoever, which kind of sucks. But other than that, the blaster, BD1, different parts, your lightsaber in different parts. Um, funny enough, when you beat the game and you do New Game Plus, I've tried it out a little bit, you can put on a uh, crystal for your lightsaber that with every swing, it changes colors. So every time it swings, you go from blue to green and it's all random. It's that's really fun to do. It's called like party mode or something like that. Um, Doesn't switch to red though, which I wish it did. But you can just get like the red one after you beat the entire game. Really fun game. I think we will do eventually when Joe plays this years later, like a full (laughs) story breakdown of this. Because I think you would have good takes on it. Um, we'll probably fun do game. a
0: for. We'll probably do both the games. Yeah. When a twofer, I finally get yeah. to play it. Yeah. I do really fun game. enjoy the first one.
1: It's kind of have a Last of Us Part 2 effect where it feels like the gameplay was focused on a lot. Uh, Or I guess that's with every video game now. Now that I think about it. Like the gameplay is focused on heavily. And the story... Just needed a couple passovers. Not to say that the story's bad. It just didn't take that many risks for me. Interesting. Okay. But also th- that was that didn't I didn't need them to take risks. But also you have there is a few story elements though that's actually decent where Cal is sort of his obsession starts to turn. Um his 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 want for fighting the Empire and his uh goal of safety for all his friends and his basic like surrogate family starts to turn to an obsession and that starts to sway his force powers here and there Um, and there's some parts after Fallen Order we had this discussion there was a discussion who is who would win in a fight Ahsoka or Cal I always said Ahsoka after Survivor probably Cal because he kind of gets overpowered at one point
0: yeah I don't need my media to take big swings I just Needed to be, basically good, on a technical level. Are the character arcs good? Do they resolve satisfactorily? Good enough. Uh, I don't need anything huge, out of it. It, You know, the graphics improved, the gameplay improved, and the stories, still good. So I'll probably. Well, it's an
1: EA. It's an EA game, so the graphics are about the same. (laughs) Well.
0: I guess they only give...
1: Oh, and they do this weird, stupid thing. They did this in MK10 where when it goes to a cutscene, the fucking aspect ratio changes where it becomes a widescreen and then when it goes to game- gameplay, it's a full screen. I hate that. Stop it.
0: Breaks immersion, does so
1: it? annoying. It does. It's really annoying. Anyway.
0: My next one here is Batman by Peter Tomasi and Doug Mankey. This is uh, Detective Comics. So this storyline was pretty interesting, actually. Um, Basically, what it was is Mr. Freeze finally found a way to revive his wife in this one.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So he finally revives Nora, and I did not expect what happened when he revived Nora. It took a turn, for sure. Uh, I'm just curious. What would you expect to happen when he, if he revived, if he revived Nora successfully? What? How do you think that story would go?
1: Well, coming from the Arkham Knight games, spoilers. She'd just want to go back immediately. However, if I was Nora and I saw that my husband turned to a giant blue person, I'd probably freak the fuck out.
0: Yeah. See, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it was uh, the first bit. Happened. <laughs> See the first bit happens where she does freak out about "Oh man, you froze me and you didn't you didn't even get my permission for that. You you froze me without my consent and now my body's all screwed up from it and she needs a cryo containment suit like he does." And it, it's yeah. And that makes her freak out for a little bit. Um and then she starts to like it. And Oh, yeah. And then she just kind of really gets in like she gets into the like Mr. Freeze is still trying to do crime things just for to help her to help her out and, you know, get acclimated again. And um, she starts liking it more than he does. And it it takes a turn for sure. Why is Nora? Why is Nora a
1: psychopath? (laughs)
0: Well, because what he did to revive her started messing with her mind.
1: Ah, gotcha.
0: So she is still her, but she's like, you know, it's bringing out certain aspects of her personality. Anyway, he did revive Nora, but he got more than he bargained for. She nearly becomes more tyrannical than Mr. Freeze. Because Mr. Freeze always had a line. It's like, I'm going to do anything for my wife. But now that he's my his wife, wa- yeah. But now that his Sorry. wife is revived, she's even more hardcore than he is, and Batman's like, "Uh oh, you're you're just as brilliant as Freeze, and you're more hardcore. Uh, I'm a little in trouble." So that storyline, I liked it. It it wasn't mind blowing, but it did move forward a story that's been around for the last thirty years. Oh, Mister Freeze. Trying to revive his wife, everything he does is for his wife, the heart of ice classic stuff. And uh here's what happens when he finally gets his wish. It's more than he bargained for. Good story.
1: Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Does Batman have to fight her? Does he punch her?
0: Oh, tons of times. She kicks his the ass fist a lot. Of
1: justice is unisex. Classic.
0: <laughs> well, I mean she doesn't That's kick his Brave ass a lot, but it's like not in a fist fight, but she does find some ways to... They kind of get in a battle of wits. It does get intense between the two of them. She finds cool ways to outsmart him. And he's got to wear this flame suit, basically. It's like a... Hell yeah. Yeah, it's like a Batman flamethrower suit. It's cool. That's awesome.
1: All right. That's a really cool story. Um, I wonder... Was that before the show? The animated series?
0: Oh no! This one was from a couple years ago. This is oh, this is three years. Because I would have been
1: interested to see an animation of like Kevin Conroy and the original no, no, Mister Freeze. Is,
0: this is pretty new comparatively to comics. Okay,
1: cool. All right, my next one is a little uh, little horror movie called Ready or Not. It's basically about this uh, this young lady who's getting married into this rich rich family, and uh, after they get married, they have the little ceremony they have this little this little, little game that they play afterwards. It's a family tradition. They draw a card from this box that they got from this very convenient demon uh, that, you know, from generations ago helped give them their wealth and power. And for that, they have to play this game. And if they draw the uh, hide-and-seek card, which that's what the movie should have been called, um, then they... The family finds whoever got married into the family. So in this case, the bride. And they have to sacrifice her to appease the demon. Um, this happened with one of the family members a few years ago. They, She got married to some guy, but then they sacrificed her. Basically just to be like, hey, thanks demon. Thanks for the riches. But if they drew any other card, it would be fine. And it's this great dark comedy slash slasher thing it's really funny at the same time of also how gory it can be it's a great mixture of both it's a really fun movie for people who aren't that into horror movies but also but it does have elements of it at the same time i mean there's this one moment where the bride she's walking up or she's climbing up a ladder and she's she got like shot in the hand and um there's a nail on top of the ladder and they keep cutting to the nail and her climbing up and you know what's about to happen it's it's really it's so gross it's so gross but but there's great comedy the family's a lot of fun there's like a cokehead daughter who's really funny the i mean the only one that fails to really who's really outshine who doesn't outshine anybody is the husband which i think he's just like a boring husband but everybody else in the family is has a great character to them um really really well directed lots of fun awesome to see how the costume from the she's in the a wedding dress the entire time uh how it over the entire movie it gets more damage and damage and it turns from white in fact, from the very beginning it's white and at the end it's like blood red it's it's a fun movie i think every, everybody should check it out
0: so is this in theaters right now, or is this on streaming somewhere? Oh
1: no, this came out in like 2019. It's on streaming. Ah. Uh, I think it's, um, you might see it on Netflix, but I watched it on Disney Plus. A lot of fun.
0: It sounds sounds fun. I like uh, dark comedy.
1: I think alley. you'd love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a bunch of rich people getting fucked over. Anyway,
0: well, it's always nice to see. So my next one is Silicon Valley season two. Finished that recently. Uh, I don't remember if I talked about Silicon Valley season one before, but uh, it's it's a really fun show. Oh yeah, 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 I did. It's um because I mentioned that one. Yeah, I remember saying. This is what the Big Bang Theory thinks it is. Uh, But I I do like the Big Bang Theory. I haven't seen that much of it, but Silicon Valley is great. Uh, Season two one-up season one, basically, in every way, because now that the guys at Pied Piper are more established in what they're doing, they've also got bigger legal challenges now. Now that they're an actual threat to the Google stand-in of this universe, they're getting slapped with lawsuits, and these companies are trying to do everything they possibly can to keep Pied Piper from being a success, whilst... They're just trying to delay them long enough to get their algorithms up and running to be competition, which they legally can do. So it's all about the legal maneuvers, trying to delay Pied Piper, Pied Piper trying to grow its team, uh, other companies trying trying to brain drain them and steal their ideas to get ahead as well. And just now that they actually have some clout, it's about... How they're trying to get some funding. Oh, and then they're, um, they have to get new funders because their old funder died. And well, the actor died in real life. So they had to get rid of that character, but they made a good storyline out of it. Uh, that character was definitely missed in the show, but they, they handled it as well as they could have, I think. So this team has to start getting into theft, lies, blackmail whatever it takes just to keep their company up and running and instead of being swallowed from the big tech giants. And it's just really entertaining to see how corporate culture works in Silicon Valley, how cutthroat it really is, especially against little startups who just had a good idea. One of my favorite conversations from season two is when he's talking to Richard, the main character, is talking to Gavin Belson, who's basically the head of Google. And Gavin Belson's offering to buy him out and basically and Richard says, oh well you know I'm not gonna be like Huli. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be better than you guys. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do business different and Gavin Belson says no you're not <laughs> basically his his um, idea was you are maybe you're gonna be different now. But once you actually start making money, you're gonna have a responsibility to shareholders and employees. And you gotta keep your company running smoothly. And before you know it, you're you're gonna be doing exactly what I'm doing to you right now. Are like when your competition pops up, are you gonna lend them a hand? I don't think so. You're gonna be trying to crush them just like I'm trying to crush you right now. So why don't you just let me buy you and save all the steps, okay? Is is basically how that goes, and it's just, there's a lot of interesting stuff like that in there. Uh, so yeah, Silicon Valley season two, an improvement over the first one basically every way, and I quite like the first season. So
1: that's good. Yeah, I completely forgot you said that thing about the Big Bang Theory. That's hilarious. Um, my next one is another movie that came out a few years ago, 2018. Is uh, Bad Times at the Al Royale star-studded cast. It's that one movie where a guy tried to emulate Pulp Fiction and tell the story in different chapters. It's got Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Chris Hemsworth, Dakota Johnson. Uh, It's got a few others. Uh, Cynthia Ervio. I think that's one of her first ever movies coming from... um, She won a Tony for The Color Purple, I'm pretty sure, or she was in The Color Purple. Uh, Yeah, one of those just kind of... um, Not bottle, like, bottle episode is not, just one location shoots, it's about this, a bunch of random people showing up to this hotel that's on the border of both Las Vegas and California, and, uh, they choose sides to whatever, uh, hotel room they want to go on, and each character is, goes through each one of their backstories, and, one guy, uh, Jeff Bridges, plays a priest who is actually a, a bank robber, and he's trying to find some money that his brother stashed um, years ago. I remember watching this years ago when, well, um, and I thought it was okay, and then I rewatched, it, and I was like, no, it's pretty good as someone who's trying to emulate Pulp Fiction. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good story. There's only so much I can talk about without spoiling each character's backstory. But the acting's well done. There's great little small dialogue scenes. There is a point, though, where you get to, like, near the ending, and then there's one more character's backstory you have to go through. You're like, oh, my God. Really? We're still doing this? But after that, you're fine. Chris Hemsworth plays... He has the most fun in this movie. He plays this cult leader. Kind of, you know... He has so much fun with it. Like, heavy cult. Very inspired by um, Charles Manson. Just... But he has a ton of fun with it. Um, he puts on the strangest American accent. He can do an American accent. But he, he kind of like goes high-pitched here and there sometimes. Um, but he's having a ton of fun with it. Um, fun movie. A lot of different twists and turns. Aesthetically beautiful. The production design is awesome. It's set in the... When was it set? I want to say it was set in the f- 50s or 60s, I want to say. Yes, around then. That's when it was set in. So lots of fun. Um, great aesthetic. An enjoyable watch.
0: Chris Hemsworth, just getting to have a blast is always good entertainment.
1: Yeah, he has he has a, a ton of he's not in it a lot, but when he is in it he he's he's a scene stealer. Uh scene stealer for sure.
0: Always tends to be. My next one here is Wonder Woman by G. Willow Wilson, Carrie Nord, and uh, Germanico. Uh, Volume 2, Love is a Battlefield. This one was alright. Just alright. It's... This run here is... um, So basically what happened is the gods of Olympus have all been scattered around Earth. Now, nobody remembers why they got cast out of Olympus. They're just kind of on earth now and weird stuff is happening and wonder woman has to gather everybody back up and uh, get the pantheon back together pretty well ish or stop them from wreaking havoc wherever they end up. And along the way she found these anthropomorphic creatures. There's a, like a Pegasus and um, some kind of bull. I think Uh, there's a couple companions and they like have a human companion with them. And I think like she's in love with the bull or something. And then they find
1: is her name Europa.
0: Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. It's just weird. Mythologically weird. Uh, but in this, and then Aphrodite has been teaming up with them since the last volume. Uh, and they found Aphrodite's, uh, son slash daughter it's kind of a it's it's one it's one of those light like they're kind of both at the same gotcha.
1: time gotcha gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah and uh, and they're like they have a crush on Wonder Woman and they're trying to seduce Wonder Woman but Wonder Woman is like nah I'm, I'm good I'm, I'm in love with Steve Trevor though she is kind of interested though well because this well, because this person is, uh, you know, the offspring of the goddess of love. So they've got some, they have seductive powers. Yeah.
1: They got some, yeah. Power. Yeah.
0: But basically what they did was they took over this town and basically freed everybody in the town of their inhibitions. So there's just chaos going on in town and everyone's doing what makes them happy. Oh, everyone's cheating on their wives and letting their kids run amok in the streets and it, Everyone does what they think will make them happy, and then everyone's getting pissed at each other now because everyone just freed their inhibitions. So it's chaos in the streets now, and they all were happy before, and now they all want to kill each other. And Wonder Woman's like, "Did okay, okay, I gotta stop. Inhibitions a good thing. Uh, knock it off." And then they end up in a in the, fighting a Minotaur, and uh, it's weird. But uh, but I like it. Oh, and then there was a there was a bit earlier on when they're fighting colossus like these rock colossus, and she has to team up with Giganta for a while, who's on leave from the Suicide Squad. Which that was that was a fun part of it. So yeah, it's a strange story. Yeah, but there's some there's some good moments in there.
1: That sounds like a lot of fun. I probably like it a lot. Of mytholo- mythological. My brain tonight.
0: Well, that's most of what um, Wonder Woman stories are. There's a lot of heavy Greek mythology yeah. components in there. Some I recently that watched more than clips others.
1: from like, I watched clips from like the 2009 Wonder Woman movie, the animation one where she fights Ares. That's a good one. They basically um, just
0: ripped that off for the, uh, for the 2017 Wonder Woman movie and just made it two hours long and set in World War One. It's basically the same movie.
1: Basically. Yeah. And the animation one's better. Anyway. Um, my next two, because they're in the same universe, uh, is the Kingsman uh, Secret Service and the Golden Circle. I watched those. Didn't watch the Kingsman. Um, heard decent things about it, but I just didn't watch it. It's better but than Golden was, Circle. Yeah. I was curious to see um, the the how much it held up and when i watched secret service again it holds up really well golden circle still not as good um <laughs> cuz secret circle service
0: overplays some stuff
1: yeah well i think what the problem is cuz secret service went more into the campy spy stuff but it kept it in some basis of reality and then golden circle just went way off of the the races like absolutely just way too campy still a lot of fun though. Um, it's awesome to see where Taryn Egerton got his fame from and his start and to see him become this gigantic star now where he's getting tons of acclaim from both TV and movies. I think the biggest thing he did recently was blackbird. Uh, that was an Apple TV show. Didn't watch it, but I've seen clips of his acting and he does a very good job. Um, but yeah, Kingsman Secret Service, I really like this movie. Just the whole spy aesthetic, how it's um and how the there's like it's the different it's playing against the posh versus the underclass uhmanship of the it's, British people.
0: It's the perfect balance between James Bond and Mission Impossible.
1: Yeah. It's got the
0: it's got the action heavy Craziness, just constant kinetic energy of Mission Impossible with the gentleman spy mm-hmm. British suaveness of James Bond. Yeah. So it's that great in between, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Samuel L. Jackson is a lot of fun as a villain. He does the character choice with the lisp, but it doesn't hinder his performance whatsoever. He's really fun with it. And it's, I always forget, but watching it, Mark Hamill's in this movie for so little time. And when it's when it's Mace Windu talking to Luke Skywalker in that one scene, it's really funny. And then when, you know, Mark Hamill's head blows up, he's like, maybe kill Bethesda Arnold. I fucking loved him. This <laughs> is it's so funny. That's great. It's yeah, it's one of those spy franchises that doesn't take itself too seriously. And sometimes it should take itself seriously, especially in Golden Circle. It just goes way too far, like bringing people back from the dead with some weird gel thing um then again all the performances in it are really fun i mean pedro pascal coming off of game of thrones went to golden circle had a blast playing that colin firth does an amazing job as Exy's mentor fantastic um mark like Strong. Statesman. yeah statesman's are fun yeah yeah sequel's fun uh, the i think Services a woman? third one i think a third one is still planned I coming so. out in a couple of years, but um, yeah, we'll see. They're probably waiting for Terrence's schedule to clear up because he's just become more and more famous over the years um yeah, a lot of fun Kingsman the Secret it, I have Services. problems with I have problems with golden Circle, but it it's still it's still a fun watch. I don't like that they that's uh, kind of a spoilers fuck it. I agree. It's it's they killed off they kill off a character from the first movie. And I didn't like it. I didn't mind not who you that think.
0: One. Yeah, I didn't mind that they killed that person off. It was a decent scene. I thought.
1: Um, Sorry, not him. I'm talking about somebody else. Oh, then I don't remember who now. <laughs> Roxy. Uh, I'll just say it. They just oh, kill her off. Oh yeah,
0: that. Yeah, that sucked. I didn't. I didn't like. Yeah, I like
1: I liked that they didn't like that they had the balls to do that, but I liked Roxy and Eggsy's, um, chemistry.
0: So, uh, yeah. Kingsman, the secret service is one of my favorite movies. The last 10 years, it injected some new life into the spy genre that it desperately needed at the time.
1: hundred percent.
0: And that, um uh, the church scene.
1: Mwah. Mm. So fucking good. That church scene. Oh my god. It's insane. And it's then they tried chir- to emulate that with well not the the scale of it, but the one takeness in Golden Circle, and they did a decent job, but yeah, you can't beat you can't beat that. It's too good. It's so jarring and so much fun to watch.
0: It's one of the best action scenes ever made, changed my mind.
1: I won't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Next up for me is The Shadow, season one. Another audio drama, this one from 1938. It's one of the preeminent shows of the Golden Age of radio, and not so subtly, the inspiration for Batman. It's basically just Batman a couple years before Batman. This this rich guy with uh, stays in the shadows, and he's a vigilante who fights criminals. It's basically Batman, but uh, but a little different. Because the main guy, Lamont Cranston, he's got these, I'm not even sure exactly, but he's got these powers of hypnotism. His thing is basically, he's a hypnotist who can gaslight people into thinking he's not there. So they, they can't see him, okay. but they can hear him.
1: They, okay. He has the ability to
0: cloud men's minds so that they can't tell he's in the room, but uh, unless he talks. And he's always got, he's got this distinctive laugh. Not, like, <laughs> I don't have a great impression of it, but it's Orson Welles. Is, Orson Wells is the star of that show in the first couple seasons.
1: Oh, okay.
0: That's, well, I mean, Orson Welles wasn't that big a deal at the time. This was just when he was starting to, get clout he was more known in theatrical circles at the time but he wasn't really even in hollywood this was him just still in his early days i think he was only on the show for its first couple years but he's incredible uh the shadow is very iconic when he gets to use the voice box and he's a very sinister figure who seems to really relish the crime fighting It's interesting because he rarely ever throws a punch. Most of the stories end with him convincing the criminals to kill themselves or tricking them into beating themselves. He rarely ever throws a punch. He just kind of shows up as an intimidating figure and makes them panic and make stupid decisions, is how most of them go. And uh, the stories range in quality. Some of them are really interesting. Most are just regular old pulp fiction from the time but i think they all have a certain level of charm of mustache twirling bad guys melodrama and just there's a good tone to them my only problem is the versions i'm listening to the audio quality is abysmal i mean they are 85 years old but mm, yeah some of them are good enough i think but other ones most of them i have a lot of trouble even making out what's happening but i try i'm pushing through how are you
1: listening to them
0: uh just on podcast networks
1: oh okay it's basically gotcha
0: some people compile them into a podcast whatever surviving episodes there are
1: yeah i guess you yeah some of those people wouldn't have the time to like remaster some of that stuff yeah. I always wonder that when, like, listening to stuff off of Spotify or Apple Music, when it was like, what do they mean by remastered? It's like, oh, because the fucking audio quality back then wavered from here to there, depending on someone's physical media of it.
0: Yeah, I do think there are versions of these stories out there that have been fixed up or based on the original prints, but I think those cost. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this in depth because I'm not too far into it, but I'm also listening to The Adventures of Superman radio serials from the same time period. and uh, I'm listening to them on Dakota Black's podcast channel, and I think he remastered those ones. Those ones sound fantastic. Uh, they i I enjoy those a lot. The shadow ones, they uh, they don't uh, they need better audio quality, and I'm hoping they improve as I go. But they're a little hard to get into sometimes, but the ones I can get into I, I really enjoy. They're the vibe is good. It's basically Batman before Batman was a thing. And I'm pretty sure I've heard that Bob Kane and Bill Finger were not like they were basically directly inspired by the shadow. Nobody ever really tried to hide it.
1: <laughs> That's funny. You mean Batman's not original? Nothing's original, everybody, okay? Everything is stolen from something. Just ask Amy Schumer. Anyway.
0: I do think DC <laughs> owns the Shadow now, though. They did. Aha!
1: <laughs>
0: they did buy it out
1: eventually. I bet Batman fights the Shadow at some point in some comic. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. He's fought everybody. Even communism, anyway. I think he has, yeah. Or some guy dressed as communism. He's
0: fought the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think he fought communism at some point. <laughs> Actually, one of his villains is named KG Beast.
1: That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's in um, KGB. Oh, yeah, he gets blown up in Suicide Squad. What am I talking about? One of the coolest characters gets blown up immediately. Anyway, um, I skipped one. I'll come back to it later because it's not that important. But... I did a replay of New Game Plus. That doesn't make sense. I did a New Game Plus playthrough of Spider-Man 2018 just to get the last two trophies that I needed for my uh, Ultimate Edition because I had gotten the Platinum and I thought I had to get these two trophies to get it, but I guess I didn't because it only counted for the main stories. But the New Game Plus trophies were beat on Ultimate Edition then just beat the game on New Game Plus. Just replayed it just to get hyped for Spider-Man 2. The story's not as long as I remember it being because I think I did a lot of stuff in between the story of Spider-Man. People complain about the face change all the time, but that was my original Spider-Man. Yes, it's different. I don't know how the main performance lines up. I know people love the original. doesn't matter to me. He does look like Tom Holland, though. I will say that. That's not necessarily
0: the problem with the face change, but yeah, I I don't care. Go ahead. The problem with the face change, you know what? This is actually this is going down a rabbit hole of problems. So I'll Go try to it. keep I'll try to keep it brief. But the main problem with Spider-Man as a character is that Marvel has a very tough time letting him grow up past high school age, right? And the fact that this game started a Spider-Man who was eight years into his career, comfortable with the job. Way past high school and college, just kind of living his life, that was a big deal for a lot of Spidey fans because we don't get to see him in this era of his life very often. And the character model reflected this more mature Spider-Man. So to change the model to make him look more like Tom Holland, well, that's not the problem that he looks like Tom Holland. The problem is that he looks like a high schooler again in this game. Yeah, that's off made a lot of us Spider-Man fans so overjoyed to see some forward momentum. That's the problem is that it's classic Marvel trying to make Spider-Man back into his high school days or make him make us imagine him that way. Yeah, it's just an ongoing problem for 60 years.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Anyway, it did bother me. Um, But if I played in 2018, it probably would have bothered me. I probably would have been those guys was like, why do you do this? But now they've stuck with the new face. They've stuck to its guns. <laughs> All the way up to Spider-Man 2. Uh, really fun game. A lot of fun. Emulates some of the best swinging in any Spider-Man game. The combat is very... It's nice. It's powerful. Ultimate edition. Ultimate Ultimate difficulty. To me, is not that difficult if you know how to dodge like well. If you can dodge like a motherfucker, you can you can win the entire game. However, if you get hit once or twice, you're dead. You're you're just absolutely dead.
0: Kills your flow.
1: Yeah, absolutely destroys it. You just gotta be really flowy as Spider-Man. Um the game's great. His relationship with MJ is great, who is played by the fantastic Laura Bailey, who I brought this up to Joe recently. Um, how it sounds like her at some points, but she tunes, she's just so talented. She like tunes her voice to sound it, not like her natural voice in some parts to make the character more distinct. She's just that talented. Uh, and Travis Willingham is Fisk, which is really cool. Voice acting is great. Spider-Man's relationship with everybody is put on point. It adds its own twist to, Peter's relationship with Doctor Octavius before he becomes Doctor Doc Ock. Um, it's this really emotional story near the end. His relationship with Aunt May. Everybody knows the ending. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to start crying. I thought I was going to be good. I thought I was good because I already went through it once. Scene played again, still cried. Couldn't, couldn't do it. One of the most emotional scenes ever. Um, main villain, uh, Mister Lee, is fine. No, he's he's a fine villain, but it's all to lead up to the the a bunch of villains near the end. Fighting's really well done. I cannot wait for Spider Man two. It's it's one of my most anticipated games over the last few years. Before that it was Ragnarok, now it's Spider Man two. It's gonna be a blast.
0: Yeah, that game's just a general love letter to Spider Man. It does yeah. pretty much everything right you can do with the character. Mm-hmm and his world and his yeah. supporting cast. I'm
1: oh, and I forgot to mention the suits. You can get suits from all across media, from different comic books, from shows, from... Uh, um, you even got, like, later on when Spider-Verse came out, you could unlock Spider-Verse for, through the DLC. I didn't replay the DLC because I already played through it once and the DLC was fine. Like, the stories, there were fine. Um, Yuri is focused on more in the DLC... But the suits are great you can dress up as tom holland you can dress up as uh andrew garfields but only in the first amazing spider-man but you can also do uh toby mcguire's suit as well which looks amazing but i somehow in this playthrough i only stuck i on purpose stuck to his main suit uh his new like this version's uh, Spider-Man 2018 suit because I wanted to see how it looked throughout the entire game because I was changing it throughout uh, my first playthrough. But yeah, it, I think it's a great suit. It's grown on me.
0: I think it's a testament to the design of that suit that even though you have dozens of other Spider-Man suits to choose from, plenty of people still go with the base suit. It's a very yeah. good update. Next one here is... The old Frogwares game, Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. I'm a fan of these old Sherlock Holmes games. The um, they're still going. This this series is still going. I'm just very behind on them. Uh, I played the first trilogy when I was younger, and now I'm finally getting back into it with Jack the Ripper. Um, this game is in. They definitely dumbed it down some after Nemesis, which. Was ridiculous. That game is probably the hardest. It's one of the hardest video games I've ever played. You can't do a single level without a walkthrough on that one. It's so, like, you need to be Sherlock Holmes to play that game. Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper is a lot more straightforward. There aren't as many, there isn't as much running around. The puzzles are easier. The deductions, well, I still had trouble with them, but it's easier to figure it out uh, without a walkthrough. The walkthrough I only needed a couple times when it was just something stupid like, okay, but like actually where am I supposed to go now? Um, They basically kept most of the action around Whitechapel, just certain streets around there. It takes place over months during Jack the Ripper's reign of terror. Holmes and Watson go in there and they discover everything happening in the community the uh the tensions with the jewish community and uh and the prostitutes there they get to know some of them and uh in the inability of the cops to police the area and just some of the locals and over a couple months they they become a part of this community nearly and yeah and as they're investigating the Whitechapel chapel killer the tone is suitably dark and eerie. It's got a great atmosphere to it. I like the the level design, the the gothic horror look of it all. Um, Holmes and Watson, their voice actors are really good, as they have been throughout the series. I like they feel in character. Um, of course the plot kind of contrives itself because Sherlock Holmes and Watson were never in the Jack the Ripper case in real life so they have to find a way to make that satisfying they have to find a way to make the reveal of Jack the Ripper satisfying but also not trample on the toes of history or the characters so they have to it's like well Holmes and Watson like nobody ever solved the mystery obviously so how do we go about that they find a way to do it I guess it makes sense. Watson was pissed off about it too, so don't uh, don't worry. The game acknowledges it's frustrating ending, right?
1: I think wasn't a few years ago they did like a DNA test and they're like, "Oh, it was this guy," and then like a few years later they're like, "Well, we don't know that for sure."
0: Yeah, I did. I did look it up just after I did finish the game, and I think they did have a guy that they were right. Narrowed down new,
1: but it might not be. They a arrested him, right? Fucking over 100 years ago.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. It's long,
0: long since done. But yeah, the game was uh game was interesting. I like these puzzle games. Make you think. Change of pace from action, RPGs, adventures, what have you. They're just. Use a different area of my brain. Feel like Sherlock Holmes. Feel smart when you're right, actually getting yeah. them right. They're they're a good series when they're not kicking your ass with difficulty. This one's not as bad as the other ones, for that.
1: (laughs) That's good. Yeah, yeah. uh, I'm not huge onto puzzle games because I'm kind of a dummy, but um, that's why I skipped all the fucking puzzle stuff in the Spider-Man game and why they didn't do it in Miles Morales because people complained so much. But uh, yeah, there's some of those I like. Some of those games that test your brain a little bit, make make you think. Um, anyway, my next one probably guessed it since I've been talking about it. Uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales beat it on new game plus, which means I platinumed it platinum both Spider-Man games. Um, a lot of fun. I think I beat it in like a day. (laughs) It's, it's that quick of a story. It's, it's meant to be played through twice. It's a lot of fun. Same thing with the suits. It's basically Spider-Man 2018, but it's Miles Morales, his his swings are a lot more not goofy. fun. The word's not fun. Yeah, a little bit more goofy. The a little bit more chaotic. You can do the I mean you can do the thing from the movie where he's falling down like he's diving basically but he's got his phone out he's looking at his phone and then he'll swing away it's a little web trick you can do it's a lot of fun. He's a lot more free flowing as Spider-Man. He's got the electric powers which are a lot of fun adds to the combat which I think by personally I like his combat a little bit more than the 2018 version but I think it's because they've learned from 2018. And they added it to Miles Morales. Um, the fact that you can change, that you're going to be able to change in Spider-Man 2 from either one of them is a lot of fun. Thought it was co-op, or it could be co-op, but it's not co-op at all, which is fine. I don't mind that whatsoever. I mean, we're at the age now where co-op is... We don't got time for that shit. Um, I will say, though, I think, I think Spider-Man 2 or is... Yeah, we don't got time for friends. Sp- <laughs> Spider-Man 2 is... Um, their fast travel is almost instantaneously. Like you'll go to a marker, click I want to fast travel here, and then you'll literally swing into it, and then you're already there. I think that's something that I read online. Um, but with Miles Morales, it's a really fun game. It's set in Christmas. Peter Parker is on a trip with Mary Jane at the for the Daily Bugle to do work, so Miles has to look over the city of New York. Turns out he's a bit of a noob. At being Spider-Man. Um, the voice actor. Voice actor's fine. It's a little. Not high pitched. But a little whiny at some parts. But Miles as a character is still a lot of fun. He's got the. Uh, Spanglish down. I think that's what they call it. In the Latino community. He's he's a lot of fun. His dynamic with his mom. His dynamic with Genki. And the his uh, relationship with. Um, his sort of. Love interest slash antagonist with Finn is a lot of fun. Yes, it's a quick game. Yes, it's basically a DLC game, but it was a fun um, sort of exclusive to start the PS5 on to really show the power of the PS5. Miles is a lot of fun. Suits a lot of fun. The Prowler's cool. The Prowler's got a cool design. There's actually one suit that you can wear that is Prowler-inspired, that Spider-Man can wear. And when you do this Prowler and Spider-Man scenes and they're beside each other, it's really cool looking how they match. Just the green and purple looks awesome. Miles is always a fun character. I mean, that's why Spider-Verse movies do so well. Miles just... He's a fun person to play. Fun person to watch. Uh, what else, what else, what else, what else? Yeah, there's not much in it. (laughs) There's not much in it by that. There's still, for how short of a game it is, there's like 20 suits, which is still a lot. Um he doesn't have that many gadgets but i heard in spider-man 2 he's going to be he's going to have about the same amount of gadgets as peter but different gadgets as well so the gameplay will feel different but yeah not much to talk about miles morales besides it's fun
0: yeah it sounds like they packed a lot of new uh well glorified dlc basically.
1: yeah basically basically I mean, it's, it's basically a glorified DLC, but it's it's more deserving than that title at the same time.
0: It's a DLC big enough to be
1: basically its own game. Oh, I played on Ultimate and it sucked with one enemy. because they'll trap you and then shoot you and then kill you instantly. It sucks. All I did was dodge playing this game.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's basically Spider-Man in a nutshell. How is his spider sense? As good as Peter's?
1: Uh, yeah, his foot, the spider sense is about the same, but sometimes (laughs) because I got kept getting swarmed, I would dodge and then have to dodge instantly or I'd get hit. I'd be like, fuck. And his heels are, his heels are better because you can get the heels from the venom power at the same time. Anyway, and you can dress as a spider verse as well. Not the newer one, but the, which I'm sure will transfer over to the new game as well. What I'm excited about in the new game is you get the Tobey Maguire black suit, Spider-Man. So Ooh, I'm going to be wearing that a lot. That's awesome. That was one of my wish lists. That's my wish list. And then also spectacular Spider-Man suit.
0: Yeah. So next up here is another Batman comic. Batman by James Tinian IV, Gillam March, and Tamu Mori. They're, it's called uh, Their Dark Designs. It was their first volume on the Batman run. This is, I guess, a couple of years ago now. I'm backed up on everything, okay? Everybody get off my back. So what's the design in question in their dark designs? Well, Bruce Wayne is finally deciding to put his money to good use. And he wants to, well, I guess a cynic would say he's trying to gentrify Gotham. But really what he's trying to do is just fix the place up. He's got a whole design for the city and that he's going to put a new effect. And things are going to go great until they don't until they very, very well don't. Because now this guy in town called the designer, he's this super cool villain. Nobody's ever heard of who just kind of rolls into town. But he's, he's been there all along. He's been there all along, don't doubt that, but he's... But but you never heard of him, and neither is Batman. Okay. It's a little contrived, but I also kind of bought it in the context. Basically, what this designer does is he's made a career of giving supervillains the best possible route to live out their dreams. Uh cuz he got cuz he was a supervillain he's an old supervillain from like way back in the day and he had this thing with his uh with his rival and he was constantly sick of being one step behind his rival i do evil things the rival's two steps ahead of me and beats me and then he locked himself away for 10 years and was like you know what i'm not coming back out till i've upgraded myself till i'm so far mentally ahead of him that there's no way he'll ever win and he basically got his rival to quit crime fighting in disgrace because he got so far ahead of him. And then he just decided to do the same thing with everybody, uh, with other villains he thought were worthy. So this guy came to Gotham uh, at Bat- at the start of Batman's career, apparently. And he talked to Penguin, Riddler, Catwoman, and um, Joker, and promised them designs that had come to fruition. Those plans all fell apart when the Joker screwed things up. But now the designer's back and somebody's using the plans he came up with for these villains to just give Batman an awful night is basically what's going on. Uh, there's assassins who were coming in out of town led by Deathstroke. Uh, like the Joker's doing something weird. Harley Quinn's hanging around as well. There's all these rogue elements going on uh selina and and Bruce are the main heroes here. Selena, Bruce, and Lucius Fox are the three main heroes of this story, and uh, a little bit Harley Quinn as well. And they're all just trying to outwit this designer and yeah, so I thought the uh the villains were pretty grotesquely drawn. they're very really creepy. I really like this as uh it's a decent introduction to the Joker's new girlfriend punchline. Who I'd only heard a little bit about. Because this is this is new. This is just her introduction.
1: New girlfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Harley's not she she's just super jealous of Harley Quinn. Harley's uh... like ah, eh, girl, you'll figure it out. And she's like, no. You Yeah. So she, she doesn't like Harley at all. But uh she's interesting. She's a lot more ruthless than Harley. But Harley's just like, ah, eh, you're boring. He'll get bored of you. You're you're so Yeah, because this
1: is a this is a new comic, right?
0: Yeah, it's just a couple of years old.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I guess modern day Harley Quinn is more of an antihero than straight up villain. So Yeah. So this Harley Quinn talks to Punchline
0: and she's basically like, eh, you know, you're very you're very serious and ooh, I wanna murder everything, but Joker's gonna get I know Joker, he's gonna get bored of you. You're not you're not fun enough for long term punchline doesn't like to hear that though so yeah there's cool twists in this one maybe uh, she
1: didn't get the punchline
0: yeah so there's cool uh-huh, twists uh-huh. but they uh, they were kind of expected in hindsight when i read that i'm like oh that's cool uh well okay yeah i saw i guess i should have seen that coming uh promises a new status quo for batman it ends in a pretty cool way Regardless of what you thought of the twists, I do like the ending. Uh, The story is basically about Batman's desire to be more than he is, and his villains too. That's what their dark designs is all about. Batman's trying to build a Gotham that doesn't need to rely on Batman so heavily. And all the villains are trying to level up as well in a way where they can finally beat Batman. And one of my favorite passages here, uh, which I which I'll read to you is just, uh, it describes why Gotham escalated the way it did. And I just thought it was interesting because I, I never heard an explanation for like why superheroes and villains are yeah, how they go are for it. So basically Catwoman's just talking to Bruce here and, uh, she says there had been darkness at the beginning. I remembered the grime on the streets, the power of the Falcone family and their allies. The city stank with corruption and horror. You were never sure if you could survive the walk from the subway to your rundown apartment. And it felt like Gotham was so broken, it could never become anything else. But then there you were. An old form of crime met a new form of crime fighter and crumbled in its face. The rules changed then, for a moment. Crime in the city had different stakes. You didn't have to pay off a crooked cop or give a cut to a cartel of murderers. If a person had the skills and a colorful costume, they could rob a bank or a vault for the thrill of it. And sure, they might have to tussle with the dynamic duo. But on a good night, they might get their hands on a diamond the size of a bull's head and fleece it for millions on the black market. And they'd put the money back into better equipment, a better costume, better tools to outwit you. So basically, I, I, just, I like the idea of The colorful crime costumes and, like, the 1930s-style bank robberies and stuff in modern day are basically just because the criminals said, eh, the old way of crime-fighting Batman could beat that. So if we put on colorful costumes and get cool gadgets, it's worth a shot, right? That's funny. Which basically just explains all of it. So I enjoy that. And uh, that's their Dark Signs. It's it's a good story. It's a good introduction for James Tinian and the Fourth's uh, arc on the character. I loved his work on Detective Comics, so I was super excited to see him come on to the main Batman title. And I'm hoping for good things.
1: Awesome. Uh, how many more do you have left?
0: I have one, two, three.
1: Okay, perfect. All right. Um, so here's a little, I went on a small Martin Scorsese kick, kind of in preparation for Killers of the Flower Moon, but also not at the same time. It just happens. We're probably going to talk about it, maybe. Um, it's one of the fucking few movies that have come out in the last few months. We've kind of had a bit of a break. Uh, so I've rewatched uh, Goodfellas. His, probably his best movie, I would say. Some people say The Departed because that's the the one he actually won an Oscar for, Nah, this is it. This is his his magnum opus. This is his perfect movie. Every scene is iconic. Ray Liotta, rest in peace. Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro. Great trio. Fantastic trio. Uh, Surprisingly, after I watch this, a lot of, or a few um, Sopranos actors are in this movie as well. Um, Tony Cicero, Michael Impiglioli is in it as well. And then probably a few more that I'm forgetting. But yeah, just the the entire, Oh, Lorraine Bracco, of course. And, um, just the entire story of Henry Hill and how it's structured, how it really taught people back in the nineties, Yeah. Or no eighties. Uh, cause that's what I'm going to talk about was in the nineties, how it talks about how the mob controlled everything, um, from where they were and how the mob life worked. It, it, yes, it glorifies it, but it doesn't shy away from the horrors of it as well. It's, how these people lived. It portrayed them more than just straight-up monsters who were taking cash from people, which they were. They were just stealing cash from people for protection money. But it was talking about them as less of an organization, but more so as a family. And I think Scorsese might have glorified them, as for eyes of today, would have glorified them maybe too much, but back then really just was like, no, here's another side to them. Here's how... They operated, he's how they treat each other, and they have their own moral code when, you know, other people, when other civilians can't go to the government or the police because they don't, the police back then weren't really doing shit, uh, especially for people who were immigrants, they weren't really helping them, so they went to the next muscle that they knew, so they did provide a service to a lot of people, um, Lorraine Bracco was nominated for an Oscar for this, but then I looked it up. She lost to Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost. One of the weirdest steals I've ever seen in my life. Um, Whoopi's a good actress. Ghost? Really? Whatever. Um, Oscars never been consistent. But uh, Lorraine Bracco does a phenomenal job. She's amazing. Um, Ray Liotta is a fantastic lead. The different sequences throughout it is Amazing Joe Pesci is this wild, absolute maniac in it as well. And then Robert De Niro is sort of the calm third guy, you know, who will kill you at a moment's notice, but you won't see it coming. Just a great classic mob movie. One of the best ever. If you haven't seen it, are you living out in Iraq? What are you, stupid? Um, one of the best I've seen.
0: When you're talking about glorification of gangsters i'm inclined to think that was well that was kind of the point about goodfellas though wasn't it like the first yeah, line of the that movie was basically is, the point as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster to me being a gangster was better than being president of the united states and the whole movie is about henry hill glorifying the gangster life from the time he was a kid to the point where well Kind of spoilers, but this is how all mob movies go. Basically, when it finally comes crashing down on him, it's uh, well that that's the wake up call. It's it's good for some thrills for some time, but it's not it's not a forever kind of thing. It, it's always finite by design. Exactly, yeah. So it is it is glorious for a, for a while, but it's uh, not a lifestyle meant to last
1: new. No, they have very short lifespans.
0: <laughs> oh, so my next one is Chuck Season 2. It's definitely a more confident outing than Season 1. Uh, they move all the characters' stories forward very well. Uh, Chuck and Sarah get to expand on their chemistry a lot. Their dynamic is the core of the whole show, really. At least by season two, I don't know how it keep how it's going to keep going. I'm, I just started season three, but so far that's the core of the whole show is Chuck and Sarah, and their chemistry is off the charts, fantastic. The will they or won't they romance? Um, it's it's good television, but all that stuff sprinkled into great week to week spy dramas, uh, really. It ranges from goofy to intense. One of my favorite things is that the drama at the local tech shop gets the super intense music all the time, and usually when the spy missions get the the rock and roll or whatever, but the stuff at the at the tech shop at the Buy More, always seems so much more dramatic than what's actually happening. It's 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 a really good uh, uh, juxtaposition there. Season 2 was also great at expanding the supporting cast. Season 1 basically just focused on Chuck, Sarah, and Casey. Season 2 let Ellie and Awesome and Jeff, Anna, Morgan, uh, Lester, Big Mike, all those guys shine a little bit more. A lot more, really, uh, later on Emmett. But yeah, so it's, uh, it's good fun. Good spy stuff. I like. I think the plots are pretty good. They finally they did a season long arc as well for uh, Fulcrum. They got to, the stakes got bigger. They got to hunt down enemy agents within the CIA who were covertly infiltrating all the government organizations. They didn't know who they could trust. Uh, they they moved a lot forward in season two. It's it was a really great season of TV. All things considered, and it probably should have ended there. Just just the first few episodes of Season 3, I'm like, well, they basically had a perfect series finale just before the end of Season 2. And then, uh, well, sorry, spoiler alert for Season 3, but they undid it all. Basically, just so Season 3 could happen. And I don't know if it'll be worth it yet. That sucks. Yeah. But Season 2 is great. So... Yeah, that's Chuck season two.
1: Yeah, I've heard decent things about that show. It's where Zachary Levi I got his start. You know, good things. Uh, next one, another glorification of the mob life. Casino, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and uh, Sharon Stone. You're on a Scorsese kick. I am on a Scorsese kick, because when you watch one, you have to watch all of them, apparently, in my brain. Uh, it's a it was <clears throat> basically it's just about how the mob uh controlled Las Vegas for a little while. It's actually really funny. I'm pretty sure the entire culmination of Las Vegas started out with the mob. Um, because who wants to build fucking casinos in the desert? Well, right next you know, to a hole in the ground.
0: Yeah, well, the gambling is all illegal everywhere, so all these mobs yeah. just moved out to Vegas and started. Hey, exactly, come out to the desert and gamble. That's all right. The feds are gonna get us mm-hmm. out here. I don't think so. And then, you know, I guess the feds just like gambling too, so they left Vegas alone. Yeah, it's pretty
1: much showcased how corrupt uh Vegas was at the time, especially from the mob because they would just skim off of the casinos a lot. Uh, you know, everybody from all walks of life would come to Las Vegas, bet ridiculous amounts of money um and then the mob would skim stuff off of them and that's basically how they controlled and it shows the sort of downfall uh jesus christ downfall of um Robert De Niro's character who I'm my mind's drawn a blank uh Ace Ace Rothstein and how his you know he's from the start of the movie he runs the casino but he's technically not the manager of it because he's got you know Arrests or whatever, but they even showcased how lenient the law was in Vegas. It was like you don't need a license to run a casino; you just have to be applying for one. So just change your position at the casino uh, every year or so, and they'll, they'll just put the application back on the bottom. And it's it's <laughs> that scene to me is just really funny, where it's just like wow, just that's how lazy and how lenient it was back in the day. Um, Joe Pesci plays; I think this is one of his better roles. He's great in Goodfellas. He's phenomenal here. Uh the narration goes back and forth between Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, so they both kind of share the lead role at some parts. Um Sharon Stone, she plays the like a, a good good wife to Robert De Niro, but it it's funny because Goodfellas, the way it starts, is this is based on true story. Um Casino is based on true events. So it's different names and stuff different like all the story like the storyline's the same but Scorsese took liberties with both Ace Rothstein and the wife to sort of make um Cherry look a little bit more of a worse wife um she's a bit of a drug addict she's she's got a pimp in the movie whereas I think I watched a History Buffs YouTube video about it which is a great channel they talk about how um it was more most likely that it wasn't a pimp. It was her, like her actual boyfriend or lover that she kept sending money to. Yeah, just another it's not better than Goodfellas whatsoever, but it's a fun like, oh, the mob was in Las Vegas. How how did they run it? And um it they ran it as you would thought they would. Pretty uh pretty poorly.
0: <laughs> I've actually never seen Casino. It's one I gotta get to at some point.
1: It's fun. It's long, it's like two and a half hours as every Scorsese movie is. I feel like it's more like three. Long. Yeah, it's well, it's three now, yeah. Actually, let me look up what Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be. It's runtime, real quick. That's are going to be four, three and a half, four. It's long. Sorry, you're muted. It's three and a half hours.
0: That was close. It's an
1: Oppenheimer. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, I forgot. Brandon Fraser's going to be in it.
0: Yay. Yay. All right. Next up for me is Black Mirror, season six. Black Mirror is a weird one for me because I always dread watching the show. (laughs) Every single time I'm about to start a a Black Mirror season, I think, well, do I want to do this? Do I want to be this depressed?
1: What's going on. I completely fucked up somehow ha- as I went through my notes on my leisure list. I was scrolled all the way down, so I have like another like six, but that's okay. I'll just run through them really quickly near the end.
0: <laughs> uh yeah. So I always yeah, I always dread starting Black Mirror. It's such an existentially depressing show. It's good stuff, mind you. And that's what keeps me coming back is I like the existential dread in a way. It's a show that always leaves me thinking after I'm done it, but it's always such a slog to start. I don't want to go through these depressing stories because they're basically all depressing. Nobody gets a happy ending. Everyone dies or gets screwed in the worst way possible or has to live with their mistakes. And it's, it's emotionally heavy. Um, uh, so I think it was a smart move for them to start season six with Joan is awful because this was a more comedic episode for the, all the people like me who are in trouble just getting into the show. And then, okay. So maybe it won't be as bad after all. Uh, you start with a comedy. It's a light. Okay. I'm I'm happy. Uh, I mean, it's still heavy, but it's more, more comedic at least. Um, Selma Hayek is and Annie Murphy are really funny in it um doesn't doesn't dwell too much on the deeper consequences of the story. It's more just a surface level plot and it's it's interesting but um yeah, at the time I thought Annie overacted as uh, as Joan, but then it made sense why she was acting that way later. And it okay, yeah, all right. Now your now your choices as an actor are making sense, and that's it's clever. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but it was interesting, just interesting. Uh, Locke Henry, I didn't really like the protagonists; they were all kind of assholes. It's uh, it's about the commodification of tragedy, is what that one is. Basically, they go back to the guy's hometown, and he. Um, the place where his cop dad was killed. He's, he's a documentary filmmaker working on some stupid film. And his girlfriend's like, wait, you mean your dad got killed by a, a murder in this town? This sounds like something to make a documentary about. That's way more interesting. He's like, ah, but I don't really want to. No, no, that's way more interesting. We got to do that. So he's kind of selling his soul to trudge up all this tragedy that everyone in the community's tried to forget for 20 years. Uh, Beyond the Sea, that one was uh, It's set in the ni- in alternate 1960s where these astronauts get to put their consciousness back into robot bodies on Earth. But then these hippies who don't believe in that, they murder one of the robots and his whole family. So now he's got no connection back on Earth. So then the other guy, Aaron Paul, lets, lets him use his body and that starts opening up some moral conundrums. I was liking it until I saw where the plot was going. I'm like, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. Oh, no, they went the most predictable way. And uh, that was annoying. Maisie Day, the whole thing is basically just paparazzi or garbage people. But some have a conscience. Actors are garbage people, but some have a conscience. Hollywood is a sick place where everyone's talents are exploited. <laughs> it's, It's just very
1: down on Hollywood. It's very depressing. <laughs> yeah. You might have to watch Velma again.
0: Velma gave me some joy, at least. I, I'm not going to speak to its objective quality, but Black Mirror is just <laughs> dread,
1: mostly. And then Demon <laughs> yeah, 79. Is, yeah.
0: Demon 79 I actually thoroughly enjoyed. This one was basically this... Uh, it's basically that email chain where if you don't share with three people, you're Something bad's gonna happen to you. So she picks up this stone where it's like, "Well, you gotta kill three people in three days, or else the world's gonna go into an apocalypse." And then that's it. She's like, "What? I don't want to. I don't want to do that." And then there's this guardian angel who comes with her, who's a demon, and he's like, "Well, no, you gotta, and I, I got, I gotta make you." So just her and the demon palling around and. uh He's trying to convince her to kill people and she's trying to work up the nerve to it. Most of that story was about uh, anti-immigrant paranoia, uh, xenophobia. Because she's um, she's an immigrant and everybody is kind of passive-aggressive to her. Lots of microaggressions. Um, there's a, I like the old film grain look on that. It's meant to look like a 70s horror film. Uh, her chemistry with the demons fun. That's just a good all-around episode. So a lot of them I like as I'm going, and then they peter off. Other ones stayed mostly interesting throughout. Uh, It's got a good sense of humor, high production value. It's uh, it's decent. It's not their best season by any stretch, but I think some of the episodes were solid. Yeah, still worth a watch.
1: That's good. Yeah, I've stayed away from Black Mirror just because I don't want to feel like shit. After after watching...
0: Well, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Those shows, yeah. It never leaves but you
0: feeling they're good. They're
1: good. Yeah. But I know it's amazing quality. Yeah. So, back at the top of my list, because I fucked up. But I have took a few out that aren't that important, because I've, like, watched a few episodes, and then I just stopped watching. Not because I didn't like it, but I moved on to other stuff. But uh, one thing I did watch, season one and two, The Bear. Great fucking show. Um, never thought I'd be more stressed watching a show... About a man trying to save his restaurant slash upscale it. Um, me think the way it's filmed, the way it's directed, the way it's acted is amazing. Um, it's from it's the guy who, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is from Shameless. Uh, <clears throat> speak, Ryan, from Shameless. Um, he played Lip in that, and he's got he's he's got the bright spot here. He's got he's got the spotlight here. He plays the overqualified chef in this rundown sandwich shop that was owned by his brother, who is played by John Bernthal, who I met. Hey, buddy. Um, and he uh the John Bernthal at the start of the story he committed suicide. So his brother comes back to sort of save the restaurant. Um, but you know, the restaurant uh, the chefs in there aren't that great. You know, they're kind of lackluster. There's cousin in it who um, is Micro and The Punisher, so that's really funny. There's actually a couple flashbacks to where John Burrithall shows up and, you know, the cousins there as well and them interacting is really funny because it's like you both are in something before uh, with each other. Um, it's really fun. It's a really stressful watch. It delves heavily on mental health and generational trauma as well, but it's it's just filmed so well. I Season two is where it really shines for me. There's a moment in season one where it, and it's a streaming show too. Like there's one episodes that, that is literally a one shot episode, like a real oneer, but it's only 23 or 25 minutes long. It's, it's a weird one. Um, and they kind of emulate that with in the season two finale, but then the rest it's shot. Normally season two is where it really shines because it showcases all of the re- um uh, chefs and the restaurateurs going off in their own to do some training of their own. Marcus goes, Marcus, who was a pastry chef, he goes off to Europe and learns all about pastries. Um, one of the best episodes is one is with the cousin. His name is Rick, I believe, or they just call him cousin. Um, uh, one of the people call him Richard. It's a stat cast, um, but he basically is, goes to a very high end restaurant for like a week He starts out on washing forks. He doesn't like it. He he's kind of he's got like a carefree attitude. He couldn't give less of a shit. And by the end of the week, he starts to find purpose. And his episode basically is talking about how can he find purpose in life. And he doesn't want to make sandwiches for the rest of his life. But what is his purpose? And he later finds out his purpose is just to make sure everybody else has a good time. Because he's he's great with people. He's a shitty restaurateur for the first few uh seasons of the show, but then but his great quality is he's fantastic with people and he finds his purpose in that. Another great episode is when they do a flashback to a Christmas dinner or it's a Thanksgiving dinner, it's an hour-long episode. Fucking they got uh John Bernthal in there, they have Jamie Lee Curtis as the mom who, coming off of that Oscar win, she deserves an Emmy. She plays, like, a drunken mom who is just an alcoholic off wine. She plays it so well, it's scary. Like, I can't even describe it, how accurate she is to just a mother who is struggling with addiction, but also doesn't want any help. It's, it's, it's scary how accurate the mental health aspect stuff is played in, um in this show, but there's still some great comedy as well. Uh, a lot of dark comedy. John Mulaney's in, in the, uh, flashback episode. He brings some great Sarah, um, that's Sarah Palin. Fucking Sarah Paulson, I think her name. No, Sarah Paulson. I think that's who it is. She's got red hair. She's in it as well. Um, community, fucking, Britta. She's in the flashback episode as well. Jillian Hers thank you Jillian Jacobs she plays the uh wife of Ricky in that flashback and their chemistry in one scene I would believe they're married in real life it's insane how great the acting is in here the ending of season two left me kind of depressed where everything was working but then um main character just kind of freaks out he has like a full-on mental breakdown and then he he develops a relationship with a girlfriend in season two and then accidentally reveals like he says like some terrible shit as he's stuck in a freezer. He's literally stuck in the freezer while the restaurant's going on, on opening night. So he's super stressed out, has this breakdown. Uh, his name's Carmi. Now I just remembered it and, um, has this whole on breakdown and he loses it. And then you're just kind of left wondering, okay, the opening night went well, but Carmi's in a really bad spot where they go from here. Um, but it's a really great show. I don't know if you would like it. It's not on Black Mirror level of depression, but they do get pretty depressing in some episodes.
0: I wasn't going to throw it on my list because uh, a couple months ago, before Ahsoka started, Justin and I watched the first episode of it, just to, I think the first two even, just for yeah. something to watch. Um, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, very intense, cramped feeling. It's yeah. very intense. And we, we didn't realize how tense we were until afterwards. And we're like, yeah, that's uh, that's a very stressful show. And uh, I do want to watch more of it, but I didn't feel like it was worth mentioning because I just watched one or two episodes. But I'll definitely yeah. come back to it at some point. Great show. Balazar the yeah. show.
1: <laughs> uh, you want to do another one? You are muted. Sorry. Uh Jeremy Allen White is the main actor who plays Carmen in the show. I want to also mention he I think he won an Emmy and I also think he won a Golden Globe as well for his betrayal as Carmen in it. So um yeah, so the next one I'll just get off yeah, uh watch the documentary series called Quarterback on Netflix. It basically went through the 2022 season of the NFL, followed three quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, which is everyone's favorite now. Kirk Cousins, who is the most boring white guy who has the he's like the most basic white guy ever in the NFL. But you can't hate him because he's such a nice dude. And then um, is it Alex Mariota? He was on the Falcons, but now he's on the Eagles might be Alex or it might be, not. and he was kind of on the t- one of the teams that weren't doing so well. So it shows the three aspects of being a quarterback pretty well, where it's the best, kind of in the middle, and then near the bottom. Great documentary to show throughout the season. Yeah, that's basically it. And it just shows the lives of the quarterback as well. If you're interested in NFL, if you're interested in quarterback, or quarterbacks in general, it's a fun documentary. I'd recommend it.
0: Yeah. Sports. <laughs> of course, being the bottom quarterback in the NFL is still far and away better than anybody else.
1: 100%. Yeah, he's rich.
0: <laughs> yeah. So my last one on my list here is Assassin's Creed Origins. I finished it this morning. Platinum. Took you me. Platinumed it? Platinum. Oh it. Took me forever.
1: Uh. I've been playing. It this man since... went out of his way to platinum a Ubisoft game. I respect it. <laughs>
0: I think I've been playing this since April. Like it's been a long freaking time. Okay, you've been hearing me talk about it on Leisure Lists for a long time now. But uh, fantastic game. Gorgeous landscapes. Such variation. You get the oases in Egypt from the deserts to the Rocky Mountains to. Yeah, to the cityscapes, Alexandria, Memphis—lovely places there. All so fleshed out. The architecture's gorgeous. Uh, you get Greco-Roman designs. You get more Egyptian fare. You get uh, the fashions in the streets. The you get to climb the pyramids. You get to go well—not tomb raiding exactly, but you get to explore the, the pyramids and all the and all the tombs. Um, the exploration of that game is some of the most fun. It admittedly does get a little repetitive. Oh, okay, we're in a new area, so how many how many animals am I going to have to hunt? How many enemy camps am I going to have to kill? How many, I don't know, what else do you do? How many treasure places do I have to loot? There's a lot of it.
1: All right, where's the sink point? <laughs> Trying to yeah. look
0: up. There's a ridiculous amount of stuff to do in the game. A lot of it's pretty repetitive. But uh, besides that, the side quests are really fun. I, I really enjoyed most of those. Although you have to learn how to play the game, is the thing. Because I found at the start, I was just doing, oh, okay, I'll do all the little stuff. I'll do the enemy camps. I'll do the sink points. I'll do the treasures, whatever. But for the enemy camps specifically, I learned not to do them, if I could help it, until I did all the quests in the area. Because... A lot of times the quests would make you go back to the camps and then i have to clear them out twice. And that sucked. So basically you just do the quest and then you go back and clear out the ones no quests made you go to. So that that was a lesson I learned early on. Uh, but the system's not overwhelmingly large. It's... It, you get most of ancient Egypt in there and it, it could have been... Massive and felt empty, but I feel like pretty much everywhere was relevant and it felt good. Uh, I love the ecosystems at play. Animals, sometimes if you're just watching the animals, they'll start hunting each other. Or like a hyena will start swatting at birds going away or they'll swat at you or they'll swat at enemies. You can use the terrain. You can uh, set things ablaze. You can, all the different weapon types and combat systems, those are those are really fun. I ended up loving Sword and Shield, in the end, was the one I ended up using the most. Classic combo. But I also really loved the, the Heavy Club. That one was great. Just crushing guys' skulls with that. You get to fight giant war elephants. You get to ride around in a chariot, shooting arrows while Julius Caesar rides the chariot. You get to... You know, That's do a lot cool. of do a lot of work for Cleopatra. Um, it's that era of Egypt. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting time, historically speaking, um, when the the Romans and the Greeks were encroaching on Egyptian culture. Learned a lot about that era playing the game because uh, Assassin's Creed has been known as historically accurate a lot in a lot of ways. They do meticulous research there at Ubisoft. So much so that they've got a whole mini-game for all the research they've done, basically. I'm still working my way through that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Bayek is an incredible protagonist. I think he's one of Assassin's Creed's all-time best protagonists now. Because what made me gravitate towards Bayek was... So at the beginning of the game, they... um, the precursor to the Templars, they, they end up killing his son. And he's on a revenge quest to to kill everybody who was there the day his son died. And a lot of lesser games and stories in general would have just made him a one-note guy who's lusting for revenge. Oh, I'm, I'm angry my son died and I'm going to kill everything and everybody. But Bayek's actually a very layered three-dimensional character most characters he meets he meets with compassion he genuinely wants to help them he'll he'll laugh and fool around with people he's great with children he just kind of has fun adventuring and it's only when he gets close to the guys who do kill his who were there when his son died that he gets that aggressive tendency or when he sees massive injustice it pisses him off but anger is not his one thing he's got he, he's just a charming guy with a lot of life and he kinda, He's just a fun person who had this very tragic thing happen to him, and it turned him a little cynical. But he's he's an incredible protagonist for the game. I think one of the best of the franchise. And then there's his wife, Aya, who they're an interesting pair because Bayek is more, you killed my son, prepare to die. I'm going to do everything to to stop you from killing more people's sons. And he'll be the guy who takes on all the side quests in Egypt. He'll help out everybody who needs help. Whereas Aya is more, I'm going straight for the top. I'm not trying to kill every single person. I'm not trying to help everybody. I'm i am just thinking big picture here. She's the one who works with Cleopatra, plays politics. She's the kingmaker. That's, that's her thing. And I would have liked to have seen a little more of her story, but I I do, they're good they complement each other well and Aya. so there's a whole lot to admire in the game and I'm not done done I do have the two DLCs to play and I'll get back to you on those when I'm finally done them, I think I'll take a bit of a break now though and uh, get back to those so yeah. that's my leisure list for this month, you got a few left
1: right what's next on your video game list? what's the next one?
0: Uh, uh, don't make me look it up. (laughs) It was, okay. It's fine. (laughs) I'll have it up when you're doing your next one.
1: Okay. Well, real quick. Um, I played Marvel's Avengers again, just to see like, was this as bad as I remember? It wasn't bad. It was too quick. I mean, when you have voice talents like Troy Baker, Nolan North, Travis Willingham, Laura Bailey, like four fucking voice acting giants in that game, And you give them, you give, you also give the Avengers, right? Like the whole, the high IP and everything, but you give them a main story that can only be beaten in a day or that can be beaten in a day. That's just, to me, that's just nothing. Like that's literally why, why even bother? And I think they focus way too much on the side content more than the main stuff. Not to say that they didn't. Um, Camilla Khan's in it. She's fun to play as, but, you know, you you want to play as the Avengers, right? You want to play as them first. The gameplay individually is fun. Um, some are more fun than others. Hulk, Thor, and Iron Man are at the top tier. Captain America is actually a lot of fun. Black Widow is okay. She is kind of OP in some moves because she has to be to sort of combat with the other Avengers. Um, the enemies who fight are robots. That's it. They You fight robots. It's not as fun just as like fighting other people. Boss fights are okay. It was a very glitchy game when it came out. Still is pretty glitchy. Um, it's an alright game. Moving on to uh, what I will say when my final thing is, I rewatched Batman Under the Red Hood. Great movie. Phenomenal movie. I watched this either before or after Fan Expo when I dressed as Red Hood. Just to remind myself how great of a movie it is, I own it now. Um, one of the best Batman animated movies ever. It's Batman, and uh, well, it's just Batman trying to figure out who this Red Hood character is. It is a ghost from his past trying to help him out. I won't spoil it here, but if everybody knows who Red Hood is, it you know, you, you know, um, great, just great storytelling overall. The Joker's in it. Black Mask is in it. Great voice acting all around. Um, Yeah, it's just one of those mysteries that is kind of, they kind of tell you up front, or they give you hints to it up front, but then it slowly over time tells you why stuff happened. Uh, The fight scenes in it are incredible. The end scene, the dialogue between Red Hood and Batman is phenomenal. Just the whole dynamic of that movie is brilliant.
0: You still need to watch it. I don't know how I haven't seen that. I've seen most. I've seen basically all the DC animated stuff, and I still haven't seen that one somehow.
1: I don't know how. It's so good. I'll let you borrow Uh, the Blu-ray.
0: But you'll be happy to note that the next one on my list is God of War 2. Yes! You're going to love it. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So you want to recap your list?
1: Yeah. I'll go in the the order that I said. (laughs) Uh, Rear Window, The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf, Modern Warfare 2, 2022, House of the Dragon, Interstellar, Jedi Survivor, Ready or Not, Bad Times at the El Royale, Kingsman's Secret Service, and Golden Circle, Spider-Man 2018, Spider-Man Miles Morales, Goodfellas, Casino, The Bear, Netflix's Quarterback, Marvel's Avengers, and Batman Under the Red Hood.
0: And for me, we got uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp's Green Lantern run. Wolf 359, Seasons 1 and 2, Silver Age, The Flash, Simpsons, Season 9, Batman by Peter Tomasi and Doug Mankey, Silicon Valley, Season 2, Wonder Woman by G. Willow Wilson, Carrie Nord, and Germanico, Volume 2, Love is a Battlefield, The Shadow, Season 1, Sherlock Holmes vs. Jack the Ripper, Batman by James Tinney IV, Gilliam March, Tomu Mori, The Dark Designs, Chuck season two black mirror season six and assassins creed origins main story. I've been reading a lot of comics apparently the last few months. That's good. I'm behind on those. That's good. Uh, and some other stuff I started, but didn't feel the need to review cause I'm not done them, but I'll just tell you what I'm, what else I'm doing. Um, I'm reading some golden age. Batman started the bear halfway through Buffy season seven Halfway through The Bad Batch Season 2. Most of the way through Strange New World Season 2. And a uh, bit of The Adventures of Superman Golden Age radio show. Just for a few other things that I don't nice. feel like reviewing in depth. So that'll do it for
1: yeah me. Yeah, right, we're all good on this front as well. We did it. Yeah. Got through our list. See you back in a few months. You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram.
0: You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time.
1: Take care.